Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. He tells in Mark 10.33, Mark 10.33, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be delivered into the chief priests and unto the scribes and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. In other words, for execution. He loves his title as the son of man, and he uses that title. He describes the necessity of his death in the famous John 3 chapter, just two verses before John 3.16, John 3.14, John 3.14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. He loves that title. He loves the title of the son of man. He uses it. He describes how he's going to be buried for three days. He says in Matthew 12, 40, Matthew 12, 40, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He loves his title. He loves the title, the Son of Man. He uses it, he uses it to describe the second coming and the power that he's gonna have in Luke 12, 40. Be ye therefore ready also, Luke 12, 40, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not, he says in Matthew 26, 64, Matthew 26, 64, Jesus saith unto him, thou hast said, nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He is the Messiah, no doubt about it. He is the Messiah, he's the Christ. But apart from one instance, oh, when he was alone in a well with the woman, uh, uh, not a Jewish woman, but as a well, it's the only time he ever said that he was the Messiah. He, he as the son of man, he's the son of God. He as the son of man, he's the Messiah. He as the son of man, he's just like you and I, except he doesn't have sin. See, that's a Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15. We have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, was all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. When he says he's the son of man, it's speaking about what he did to himself in Philippians 2.7, Philippians 2.7, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, son of man, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, son of man, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, if there's one truth that's attacked by the devil, it's to destroy the Lord Jesus as the Son of Man and fully man. I've seen this before. I just saw it recently. It's wrong to say that Jesus died a supernatural death. He did not die a supernatural death. He died a natural death. 
Because as the son of man, he died like you and I died. That's the reason I'm not on a radio station up in Los Angeles, because the owner who is now not there. But anyway, he said that he didn't die like you and I died. All right. He gave up the ghost. He died like you and I did because he died as the son of man. And this is what he's emphasizing himself by always referring to himself as the son of man. As the son of man, he was God. As the son of man, he was the Messiah. He, but he wanted others to see that for themselves. He wasn't going to tell them. And so he turns to his disciples in Matthew 16, 13, Matthew 16, 13, and he says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto him, but who say ye that I am? Now remember, he's asked them, who do they say that I, the son of man, am? I'm telling you that I am the son of man. So who do you think I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say unto thee also that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I'll give unto thee the king's keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Why? He just wants to be known as the son of man. Then it comes up to revelation as to whether or not they're going to realize who he was. To realize this truth that God became a man and in the Lord Jesus was a person who was fully man and fully God. And fully man, he dies for our sins. That's the gospel. The gospel is to see that the Lord, that the Lord Jesus, as God, he made and he hung the stars in space, but as the son of man, he was hung on a tree. See, the gospel, the Lord Jesus is seeing him as he used his hands to form man and then his hands get driven through with nails. And, and the Lord Jesus, as God, he uses breath to give us life. But as the son of man, he's made to suffocate in the fluid that's collecting in his lungs and the, and the cross there. He gives us water to drink and as, as God. And as the son of man, he's made to thirst on the cross. He's as God, he's light, as we were talking about earlier, light of the world. But as the son of man, he's put into a dark tomb. He, he has a heart of love as God when he gives man life, but then as the son of man, his heart is pierced through with a sword. So when he says this verse in Matthew eight twenty, Jesus said unto him, the foxes have holes and the birds have the air, have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. He's really talking about provision because he's saying, look, why do the foxes have holes and the birds have nests? Because God has provided for them. God has provided them. He's provided for the foxes and the birds. He provides food for all the animals, as it says in Psalm 104, 21. Psalm 104, 21. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. And Psalm 147, 9. Psalm 147, 9. He giveth to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry. See, it's all about how God provides. It's all about God providing. That's what's emphasized by this title, Son of Man. It's God providing for man. As it says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sakes, he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich, might become rich, might be rich. So when the Lord Jesus uses this term, son of man, he's emphasizing his grace because he's emphasizing it's for our sake that he became the son of man, that he became poor through, because so that we could be rich. All right, now look back. Remember, we're in Genesis 35. Do you remember that? <laughs> okay, Genesis 35, verse 21. All right, so now we're in this verse. So Israel is journeying, and he spread his tent, and now we're given a little bit of uh, important uh, location marker here. The Tower of Edar. It's a very, very important, very, very important place. Nobody knows where it was, <laughs> where it was anyway, but it's important because it was probably a tower that was set up by the shepherds so they could climb up into it and see where all their flocks were. But it's important information for us. It's important information. Why? Because this, this place where he was, just beyond this tower of radar, wherever it was, the, the important part is that Isaac was not there. Isaac was not living there. As a matter of fact, if you look down at verse 27, you see that in order for Jacob to visit his father Isaac, he has to come into this region called Mamre, and he has to go to this city called Arba, which is Hebron, because that's where Isaac lived. So, so we're not exactly sure where this place was, but we know that when Jacob wanted to go visit his father Isaac, he had to leave. Wherever he was there near this tower of Adar and travel to Hebron where Isaac was. Okay. Now, when Jacob would leave home to go visit his father Isaac, he'd have to leave someone in control of his house, you know, because he's got some kids that, uh, well, anyway. So um, someone's got to be in charge. So who's that going to be? The firstborn, Reuben. Reuben, he's the one who's got the authority now. He's the firstborn. Okay, so now we understand that he wants to go visit his dad. His dad's getting old. Or his dad is old. And he's got to leave, and so Reuben gets in charge. Now, Reuben, we know something about Reuben, and Reuben has a problem. He kind of has this sort of impure interest in the private sexual life of his father. And we saw that back in Genesis 30, verse 14, Genesis 30, 14. And remember, we read that when we said, and Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest, and he found mandrakes in the field, and he brought them unto his mother Leah. Then there was an argument. Then Rachel said to Leah, give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. Okay, what are mandrakes? Mandrakes are these arousing aphrodisiac, and Reuben finds them and brings them for his mother to use on his father. So already we see Reuben, he's taking an interest in things he should not. And this was Reuben saying, you know, I wonder what would happen if my father were given these mandrakes. I just wonder if these mandrakes really work. I just want, I just want to have a look and see for myself if they really do work. You know, this is, this is it, this, this, this interest that he's got in these sexual areas here, he's, no, that's not going to hook me. I'm just curious. I just want to have a look. Okay? That was a wrong curiosity that should have been squelched by Reuben. And this is like the wrong curiosity of how addiction starts with pornography. It starts with, you know, I wonder what this is all about. It won't hook me. Oh, no. I just want to have a look and just see for myself. You know, just, just have a look and see for myself how, how this, uh, and all of a sudden the hook is set, as it was for Reuben. So while Jacob's off visiting his father, Isaac, Reuben's in charge. He's got the authority o- uh, over the household there, and this was a bad setup for Reuben 
to get away with what he did in verse, 30, uh, verse 22. In the verse 30, 22, verse 22. It came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Okay, so now, Reuben, he's got the trust, he's got the authority, he's also got the unholy interest in things he shouldn't be interested in. And he does this horrible crime, which is a scandal. Now, of course, we don't have these situations today, so we should just skip right over it. There's no problem, (laughs) especially in the church. Oh, boy. All right. So, very relevant. And it's this matter of sexual sins. This is a horrible crime. By the way, it's very interesting and very noteworthy and something we should take a look at here of the way this crime is reported in Genesis 35. There's no commentary about it, but it shows that really nothing is hid in the word of God. And it also shows how these accounts did not originate with man, but with God. Because if this account and others along like it were, was really originating from the Jewish people and was meant to promote the Jewish people, you wouldn't have this account in there, I guarantee you, and you wouldn't have the murder of the Shechemites in there because that's not very good for the Jewish people, okay. But this is a horrible scandal And specifically, these are the sins that are called out by God in Leviticus 18.8. Leviticus 18.8. The nakedness of thy father's wife thou shalt not uncover. It is thy father's nakedness. In Deuteronomy 27.20. Deuteronomy 27.20. Cursed be he that lieth with his father's wife because he uncovereth his father's skirt. And then all the people shall say amen. What Reuben did was primarily against his father, his father Jacob. And it made Jacob trigger a hatred against him. But why? Because Ahithophel gave to Absalom this advice. And when Absalom wanted to hurt his father David, and he said in 2 Samuel 16, 21, 2 Samuel 16, 21, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, go in unto thy father's concubines with he hath left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art a horde of thy father. And then shall all the hands of all them, which should they be strong. So they spread the, for Absalom a tent on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. So Ahithophel sees this problem. He says, boy, he says, you know, the people of Israel, they might see Absalom as the son of David, and, and they might think, well, they're together. Okay, he's going to, you know, might as well he should inherit the throne. And now I can't gonna get the people to go after and kill David. Okay, he, cunning person. He has to make Israel see that, David hates his son, and so this is it. All Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father, and then the hands of all that are with thee shall be strong. He knows that this crime is gonna make David hate Absalom, or uh, hate's probably not the right word, but anyway, whatever. But in the same way, when Jacob heard that Reuben did, there was a rift formed, a rift between them that never was healed. And as for the concubines that Absalom defiled, we read about them in 2 Samuel 20, verse 3. 2 Samuel 20, verse 3, David came to his house, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, who had left to keep the house, and put them in ward, and fed them, but went not in unto them, and they were shut up unto the day of their death, living in widowhood. It's probable that Jacob did the same thing with Bilhah, set her in widowhood, or never touched her again. Now, Paul, he has to deal with the same sin in the church of Corinth. Can you imagine? And he rebukes them, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, 1, 1 Corinthians 5, the whole chapter is dedicated to it, but 1 Corinthians 5, 1, he says, it's reported commonly among you that there's fornication 
And such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Yeah? And he says that uh, you should take this person and deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And then he goes on and says, purge out, therefore, the old leaven. And he says, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So it's reported, Paul says. Just like with, with um, uh, Jacob, he hears about what happened between Reuben and Bilhah. And he's a fornication. Now that's a reference to all kinds of sexual uncleanness. And the beauty is there are no details. And to not give any details of the scandal, he just said one should have his father's wife. That's enough information to know. When these terrible things are talked about, it's best not to go into details. It only stirs up lust. It's not, there's kind of a holy vagueness to this. And that's good. And so you have this general term. That's why it says in Ephesians 5.12, Ephesians 5.12, it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. There's a defilement that can happen to go into detail. So the beauty in uh, Genesis 35.22 in our verse here, and it came to pass that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah. No details of when, where, how, just simply he went and lay with Bilhah. We don't need to know anything. And this is the beauty of the three sons of Noah. You know, when their father was involved in some kind of sexual impurity, one son said, oh, I want to see for myself. I want to see for myself. I got to learn more about what's going on. And so then in Genesis 9.21, Genesis 9.21, it says he got drunk. Noah did, and he was uncovered in his tent, and that's all we need to know. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and then he goes and tells his brethren without, let me tell you guys the details, right? And he has this unholy curiosity, and he goes and tells his two brothers. It's like an invitation. Why do you go see for yourself? But his, but his two brothers say, nothing doing. This is not something to expose. This is something to cover up. We don't want to see any details. And there's this beautiful picture in Genesis 9.23, Genesis 9.23, where it says, Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon their shoulders, and went backwards. How precious is that? And covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward and saw not their father's nakedness. Shem and Japheth were admirable in covering their father's sins. And that's a lesson for us. We hear of some sexual scandal. Don't be like Ham. Well, find out more and expose it and gossip it around. Be like Shem and Japheth. Go in backwards and cover it up. I mean, and this was Corinth here. This is a really dirty city. They had 3,000 prostitutes that worked out of the temple, the, the heathen temple. And if you said you were from Corinth, that was shameful. But even Paul says what's going on here with this scandal is not so much uh, even named among the heathen. And so he says, he that's done this, he's got to be taken away. And we're going to see how Reuben is taken away and removed from his position because Paul says, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved. This is not a true and final excommunication here. It's a merciful punishment with a view to the person coming back. And so that's what he said in 2 Corinthians 10.8, for though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord had given us for edification and not for your destruction, and in the case of this person in Corinth with Reuben, it's not a final ruin. It's not a final damnation. It's done for correction. Just like two people in the New Testament called Hymenius and Alexander in 1 Timothy 1.20, 1 Timothy 1.20, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they might learn not to blaspheme. 
So it speaks of the destruction of the flesh. That's the fleshly impulses, the evil impulses of our body so that we could turn the body to being the temple of the Holy Ghost. So the rule here is purge out, purge out. And when he says purge out, he's clearly talking about the Passover and all the cleaning of the house to get rid of the leaven and the preparation. It's an absolute purging. And that's what he's saying here. Purge this out. Purge out the old sins. Okay. Now, this sin that Reuben did, it cost him. It cost him. He was disinherited because of this sin. And in Genesis 49.4, Genesis 49.4, it talks about Reuben, Jacob. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. I don't even want to tell you the ridiculous way that the rabbis interpret this verse and what happened. They say it didn't happen the way we think it did, but he just turned the bed over. Anyway, don't even listen to what I just said. It's so ridiculous. Okay, First Chronicles 5.1. First Chronicles 5.1. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. That's a huge cost. That's a huge consequence. And you know what this shows us? That there are consequences of forgiven sin. There are consequences of forgiven sin. And so we have to look at Reuben here. He was forgiven, but that did not remove the consequences of his forgiven sin. He lost his inheritance. He lost his position as a consequence of his forgiven sin. And we can imagine how he may have tried to hide the sin. You know, he made his dad's away, so no one's gonna know. But Numbers 32, 23, you, he says, be sure your sin will find you out. It found him out. Okay, and then it says Israel heard it. Now this is what it says in verse 22. Israel heard it. It's four words, just, and Israel heard it. That's all. No details are left to us, but we can fill in the blanks. Right, Because from those four words, we can just feel all of the shame of Jacob and the, the, the sorrow and the indignation and the horror that Jacob's feeling here caused by his, his oldest son, who he trusted to be an authority, take care of the home. I mean, this is a pretty rough chapter for poor Jacob. I mean, you know, he's got the death of Deborah, then he's got the death of Rachel, and now he's got the rape of his concubine wife by his oldest son. Lots of heart sorrows for the man called the prince of, with God. Lots of heart sorrows for the Israel. Here. And it all shows us what we saw earlier from Acts 14, 22. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. But we don't do it alone because of Hebrews 13, 5. He said, I will never leave thee and nor forsake thee. So through all of the troubles and, and everything, that's going on here, the Lord never has left him, and he never will leave us either, all right? So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being with Jacob through all of his troubles, and we thank you, Lord, for how you corrected him, how you used all these things to cause him to say at the end of his life that he yearned for your Jesus, for your salvation. And thank you, Lord, for showing us these things in his life, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 